the name of this morning's message is Real to Real. What do you see? Of course, the first real is R-E-E-L. Anybody remember Real to Real? <laughs> everything. <laughs> Movies, tapes, everything was Real to Real. Well, in this particular case, I want you to think of movie screens. I want you to think of, of things you can see. Things that are not at, yet in your hand, but they're things you can see. I want to talk to you about vision this morning. I want to raise your sights for the future. I want to get you thinking about what the future should look like, not what you're afraid it might look like. So, I want you to stir up those hopes, those dreams, those wishes that you have for the future. And I want us to talk about how we can walk into them as a reality. God wants us to bring those hopes and dreams into reality, but it all begins with vision. With what do you see? Now, what exactly is vision? I looked up the word vision in that Webster's 1828 dictionary. It has five different definitions. The first one is the act of seeing. In other words, I can see things outside myself. People who have sight can see. Then there's the faculty of seeing. Now, most of the time we think that that means my eyes work. An eye doctor would say, you have 20-20 vision. He tells me how well my faculty works. But it also refers to the ability to see with understanding. Blind people see. They just don't see the same way we see. It's a faculty. It's not just necessarily what we do with our physical eyes. It is also something to be imagined, though not yet real. It is the picture we create in our mind. In Scripture, it refers to revelation. It refers to the appearance or exhibition of something supernaturally presented to our mind, a thought picture. It's when the first time you see the truth of grace, you see it. Now, it was always there. <laughs> it was always there for us to see, but suddenly it was opened to us, and we could see it. And once you see grace, boy, there's no going back. There is no going back. And then there is the object of your sight. My husband, he's always telling me I'm lovely. So he could say, you are a vision of loveliness. I am the object of his sight. Now, we're going to actually incorporate all of these this morning when we talk about vision. So when I ask, what do you see? I'm asking, what do you physically see right now? I'm asking, what do you understand about what you see? I'm asking, what is in your imagination? You are seeing in your imagination. What has God revealed to you? Are you seeing what God has revealed to you? Do you paint those pictures? What is the object of your sight? What are you determining to look at? We have a choice about where and what we look at. So, what is your vision for the future? What do you believe God is calling you to? What do you desire or dream about? All of these things include vision, our ability to see differently at the same time. Now, when I say vision, this morning I'm talking about your flesh and blood eyeballs, natural seeing. And that's primarily what I want us to talk about, because that's where we're going to end up, is talking about what we see in the natural and how that affects what we end up having in the natural. The truth is, what we see with our physical eyes affects our heart. It affects what our heart sees and believes. And what our heart believes is actually what happens in our lives. We do not live out of our head. 
We do not live out of the truth we know. We live out of the truth we believe. I can know the truth in my head and not walk in it. The truth is, emotion will always win. (laughs) Emotion will always win because that is what you truly believe. What you feel indicates what you truly believe. So if I have fear, and I say I have faith, how do I know if I'm in faith or not? What is your heart saying? You see, if your heart says, I know God is good. (laughs) I know he hears my prayer. I'm believing he's going to come through for me. But I'm still experiencing fear. The truth is my heart believes the fear lie more than it believes the righteous truth of Jesus Christ and his finished work. Our emotions just indicate what we truly believe in our heart. And scripture bears this out. In Proverbs 4.20 it says this, My son, attend unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. The word incline there means to stretch or bend. To attend means just to take heed, listen closely. So the first thing he says is you need to hear You need to bend. You need to draw close. You need to know what God is saying. First thing. Second thing. It says, let them not depart from thine eyes. Now, isn't that interesting? We hear words. But he says, don't let what you hear depart from your eyes. How is that? Because words paint pictures. Okay? (laughs) He wants us to see what he's saying. And it says, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Don't let what God says to you or about you leave your sight. You have to guard them from injury. When it says, keep them, the word keep is the word guard. Guard means to protect from loss or injury. You see, if I understand that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, if I truly understand that, when I mess up, what will my heart tell me? You know what my heart tries to tell me? I'm not righteous anymore. That somehow God is mad. All that old teaching still comes up. Condemnation still comes up. I get over it a lot quicker because the truth is taking over my heart. I'm not allowing those old lies, those old mindsets to rule in my life anymore. But I have to guard what God says. The way our heart works, our heart records everything. Everything we see and everything we hear. So the condition of my heart is always dependent on what's going in. What am I allowing into my ears and into my eyes? My husband, he likes politics. And this is going to be an election year. (laughs) The last time we had an election year, he had the talk shows on every night. And I was, after, <laughs> after a couple, I, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> they're, tra- they're scaring the stuffings out of me. <laughs> all this gloom and doom, and, and you, you, everybody's an expert about what's going to happen and all this, that, and the other. And I was like, my heart, my heart hears all of this, and your heart believes what you hear and what you see. Your heart believes what you experience above what you know. So that's why it's important what we put in our ears and we put in our eyes because it affects our heart. Proverbs 4.22 says, God's word, they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. When it says that they are life, it actually means in the Hebrew that the words themselves are alive. Now think of that. Get that picture. 
take one of God's words to you, okay? And it's not just print on a page. It is alive. Now, what do you do with something that's alive? You put it in your heart so that it will grow. It says that his words are alive and that they bring life. And then it goes on to say, and they are health. Health means they are curative. God's word is alive. And if I put it in my heart, it has the ability to cure anything. doesn't matter what the problem is. If it's financial or physical or emotional, God's word has the ability to cure everything that's broken in my life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. When it says to keep thine heart with all diligence, in the Hebrew it actually says this, guard your heart with all guarding. It's actually another word for guarding. When they use a word like that twice, it's for emphasis. He's saying, whatever it takes, whatever power you have, you have to protect your heart. It's that important because what's in your heart is going to show up in your life. Now, if we understood that, would we watch late-night television? <laughs> you have to ask yourself that. What am I putting in my heart? Because what's in there is what's going to come out in my life. So it says, for out of it are the issues. This is a really interesting word. And I've always heard uh, faith preachers use it, you know, out of your heart come the issues of life. I'm thinking... When we think of issues, we think there's something wrong. <laughs> that person has issues. <laughs> That's not what it means. It means boundaries. It means boundaries. You see, God says, I've given you everything in Christ Jesus. For what boundaries you put in your life, you're responsible for. You see, God gave us everything in Christ Jesus, but he says you have the control. You have the choice. It's up to you. The problem is we don't usually know what we really believe. We look in our head. See, we can look in our head. We go, this is what I think. This is what I believe. Okay, but, but when our heart, we can't look in there. We can't file through it like we do our brain. You ever go through your filing cabinet of your head going, I know it's in there. The answer is in here somewhere. And you just keep going over and going over and going over. I was doing that one time, and God said, when are you going to realize the answer is not in your head? It's not in there. It's in your spirit. And we can't look in there either. <laughs> the only thing we can look in is our head and know what's in there. But the Holy Spirit can reveal to us what's in our heart. And the Word of God reveals to us what's already in our spirit. Amen? So, whatever boundaries or limitations you see in your life, they have been produced by what you currently believe. So do you like your boundaries? <laughs> do you like the boundaries of your life? Have the boundaries been opened up large enough? See, if you find there's limitation in your life, it's because that area of your heart has set a boundary. No, I, I, I don't believe in healing. Lots of churches teach healing passed away. So the, when the parishioner sits in the, in the pew and hears healing has passed away, they get to choose whether or not they want to believe that. And if they choose to believe that and embrace that, they set a boundary that they themselves will never experience healing. It's their own boundary. We do that with everything. The Word of God is supposed to tell us what our boundaries are. 
But the truth is, our heart is the one that sets those boundaries. And unfortunately, we have a lot of self-inflicted boundaries. Lack in our life. Lack in relationships. Lack everywhere. And it's because somewhere in our life, we have picked up wrong believing. The Christian life is about renewing our mind so that it will get into our heart. There's all kinds of junk (laughs) in our head. (laughs) And there's all kinds of junk that gets stuck in our heart. Even things from when we were children. We pick up misunderstandings. And we don't even know those things are there until the Holy Spirit points them out to us. Speaking of vision, there's a story in 2 Kings. It is the king of Syria. And it involves the prophet Elisha and the king of Israel. The king of Syria wanted to capture the king of Israel. And so he was always setting up traps for him. But he could never catch the king of Israel because of the prophet Elisha. The prophet Elisha would tell the king, don't be here, don't go there. He was always telling the secret plans. And so the king of Syria calls a meeting with all of his servants and says, who here is the snitch? Who here is really for the king of Israel? Whoever the snitch is, you've got to tell me. And the servants say, it's nobody here. We are all for you, king. The problem is that stinking prophet hears what you say in your bedroom, and he tells the king of Israel, and that's why he keeps escaping from you. He's like, okay, where is he? And they said, well, he's in Dothan. He says, send out an army. Send out an army and go and get the... He's sending out an entire army to get one man. (laughs) That's a little overkill, probably, huh? (laughs) After he sends out the army, in 2 Kings 6, 14, it begins with, with this. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said... Alas, Master, what shall we do? Did what he see affect his heart? Instantly, right? Just like that. You see this army, you know you're done for. (laughs) What he saw immediately affected his heart. Now, the prophet Elisha, he says this, Do not be afraid, for those who are with you are more than those who are with them. Now, I love this picture. There's the prophet and here's the servant. And he's going, let's see. One, two. <laughs> One, two. <laughs> it's not getting any better. <laughs> and the prophet says, no. Those who are with us are more. See, he saw with a different set of eyes. He saw with the eyes of the Spirit. He didn't just see with his physical eyes. So he prays, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The Lord opened his eyes to see what was really real. You see, we want to get the picture in our head, the R-E-E-L, to come out in our life and be R-E-A-L, okay? (laughs) And what he was showing him was his heart changed instantly, again. Instantly he was afraid because of what he saw, and instantly he was at peace because of what he saw. That is the power of sight. Now we have both spiritual sight and physical sight, but guess which one we're dominant in? Physical. We know what we see affects us instantly. So we could say what the servant saw with physical eyes brought fear, but what he saw with spiritual eyes 
And actually, what I like about this is that it doesn't say he used spiritual eyes. It says his eyes were opened, like an open vision. You can see in the spirit with your physical eyes. It is possible. And you can do it on purpose because you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sees things that you don't see, but he can help you to see them so that you're never walking around in fear. Fear is never our portion, ever. If we're in fear, we're not looking with the right eyes. Because when we look with the eyes of the Spirit, we see a greater reality, the greater truth. And if we really see it, we'll believe it. The problem is, in our physical flesh, we are flesh dominant. (laughs) And that works against us. We have to purpose to be spirit dominant. Now, when God gives us vision, he gives it to us to inspire us. Whatever kind of vision you have, dream for the future, desire in your heart, it all involves seeing. If you have a dream, you know what happens in that dream. If that's a dream to go on vacation, or if that's a a, a desire to, to, to build a house, you have a little thing going on in your head, what that looks like. Your seeing is taking over. Unfortunately, it also sees the bills, it sees, <laughs> it sees the sickness, it sees whatever it sees in the flesh. But we get to choose what we see. We really do. So, since we know we're flesh dominant, why not use that to our advantage? Why not choose what we look at? When God gives us a vision, whatever kind of vision that is, it's to inspire us to get from the real, R-E-E-L, to get us to the real, R-E-A-L. That's what vision does. It takes you from a picture in your head to a reality in your heart. And that's what it's meant to do. Now, everybody has wishes and desires. Dreams. Everybody. But, you have to decide are those wishes, dreams, and desires from God? Or are they from you? You might be surprised. Christians are so accustomed to the idea of God being stingy that God's going to withhold good things from them. I mean, even if they don't think that in their thoughts like that, that they think God is stingy, I don't think Christians actually say, I think God is stingy. But if you ask them, will God meet your need? Well, I hope so. What are they saying? God's stingy. <laughs> there's, there's a reason God wouldn't bless me. There's a reason God wouldn't be good to me. Now, is that true? No, not true. But that stuff gets stuck in your heart. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, he's not saying he's giving you things. He says, if you delight yourself in me, I will actually put desire in your heart on purpose. He wants you to know that those desires are actually from him. Thirty-some years ago, I started studying the word of God. Fell in love with God's word. I told God, God... If I could do anything I wanted, if I could be anything I could ever want to be, if you said, write a blank check, I would say, let me study the Word of God all the days of my life. I love your Word. I love seeing you. There's nothing that makes me happier. He's like, this is good. (laughs) Keep at it. And he trained me all along. It was a desire, though. It was this great burning desire. Because I had that great burning desire, for years and years, there came a vision out of that desire. And that vision was to go to Bible college. Now, I knew for years and years and years, my kids were 
in high school. I'm supposed to go to Bible college. When? I don't know. <laughs> How? I don't know that either. <laughs> Where? Got no clue. Someday, I'm going to Bible college. A desire became a vision. I remember sitting at a lunch table with my best friend and seeing myself go to Bible college. God says, I put this desire in your heart, and when you stir it up, it's going to give you a vision where I want you to go. Desire takes you where he wants you to end up, if we know that that desire is from him. I had that vision for a long time. I knew I would someday go to Bible college. So uh, over the years, I would look at Bible colleges online. What do they offer? What do I get for my money? What is their thing? And I would look and get disappointed, and I would look and get discouraged, and it's like, uh, seems like I'll never go to Bible college. But God, never let that vision get away. I and my husband were going to go to a ministry event for vacation. Originally, we had five days, so we were going to go to uh, Andrew Womack's Gospel Truth Seminar in Chicago. But we ended up only having three days instead of the five. And I thought, well, Lord, maybe, maybe we should do something a little more vacation-like, you know, something a little more less structured, let's put it that way. As I was thinking about this, changing our plans, I heard the Lord very clearly. He used his daughter, you need to listen to this voice. <laughs> do not miss your destiny. I was like, going to an Andrew Womack seminar has something to do with my destiny? Okay. <laughs> because he used his daughter, you need to listen to this voice. <laughs> I listened. We went to Chicago for that vacation time. And I knew when we left, I knew in my spirit, we were going to go to Paris Bible College. Now, I had no idea how that would happen or how that would work. But suddenly, see, when I listened and said, okay, Lord, I'm following your lead. We're going to go on this, to this ministry event. It was when we left, I knew. I knew we were going to go to Paris. Now, I had no explanation about how that would happen because as far as I knew, there was only a school in Chicago. There was nothing near us. So the whole weekend, everything was about God orchestrating our life. We were listening to a um, series from Keith Moore. It's all about grace. And it's all about how God, by grace, ordered his steps and his wife's steps to get them in Bible college. How interesting is that? <laughs> what you see and what you hear, that's your heart. So we went to the seminars, and we found out they were starting an extension school in Kenosha. Gosh, that might be doable. Wow. Because you had the option of online and that kind of thing. Okay, Lord. By the time we left the seminar, we knew we were signing up for Bible college. I didn't know what my destiny was yet. He just said my destiny was connected to me going to Bible college. Yes, he gave me a desire, and it led me to a vision. And what I could see in the vision, God ordered my steps to make it come to pass. I didn't know where I would plant the church. Twenty years ago, God told me I would be involved in an apostolic ministry that would plant churches. I would think they would be where I live. <laughs> I wouldn't think they would be an hour and a half from where I live. <laughs> Triumphant Grace Ministries was part of my destiny. But I didn't even see this part of my destiny until I stepped out on the part I had seen. Saw my going, myself going to Bible college, stepped out, and we went. 
it was not until our second year that God told me, I want you to start a church, a great church in connection, in connection with care. I didn't even know what the destiny was. That's how good God is. You see, he'll give you a desire. That's why you have to pay attention to those desires, because those desires will lead you to a vision. That vision will lead you to a destiny. Now, you know what? The day he said to me, don't miss your destiny, guess what? It was a choice. I could have said, well, you know, Lord, really, what destiny could come out of that? <laughs> God knows. You see, I saw, I saw the connection. I saw what he was doing. It was all part of what he had planned and put in my heart. This message really came out of a message I heard. At the beginning of the year, I heard a very famous minister's daughter do a uh, presentation on vision boards. Now, a vision board is just that. You make a, a board or something like that, like a cork board, and whatever your desires are, whatever your, those visions are, you put them where you can see them. In Habakkuk, it says, write the vision. Make it plain so that he who reads it can run with it. I've always known that journaling was powerful. But the problem with journaling, even when God gives you a promise, is you don't see it all the time. Because we're flesh-dominant, we're sight-oriented, it's much more powerful to see your vision, to see your desire. It makes a huge difference. And that was really the um, gist of her presentation. And while she was presenting all of this and all the things that came out of it, I thought, God, this is brilliant. This is brilliant because we are sight-dominated. And the biggest problem is our heart believes what we see. So why not use that truth to our advantage? What do I need to see happen in my life? And I started to think about, this is anointed of the Lord. This is stupendous. You see, we see constantly. And what we see the most, most affects us. That's why it says, you know, as we behold Christ, we become more like Christ. We have to keep beholding. Okay, we become what we behold. We actually will enter into what we see. That's the point. So I began to see my vision board. You know what? It wasn't this big. I have a bare wall at the end of my bed. <laughs> I'm thinking, I could turn that whole wall into a vision board. Because, you see, it says in Joshua... The same thing it says about in Psalms here, keep my words in front of your eyes. You've got to see what I'm saying to you. And I want you to see it every morning and every night. And I'm thinking, this is perfect. You know when you wake up in the morning, you're not really quite awake, but you are super aware of the spiritual realm. The first thing you see is your vision. What God wants you to see. What God wants to do in your life. I'm thinking, this is awesome, God. <laughs> this is awesome. You've solved the biggest problem. Seeing. The biggest problem to us having faith is seeing. So let's take that problem and turn it into a benefit. So I thought, hmm, what am I going to put on my vision board? And the first thing I knew, I knew exactly the first thing it would be. Lauren's kidneys. Lauren needs new kidneys. I see new kidneys. <laughs> okay, the more I see it, the more I believe, I convince my heart so that I actually end up apprehending and walking into what I see. And then I thought, 
Lola needs new legs. Gotta get some legs on my vision board. I'm thinking, wow, what else can I get for people? And God's like, why don't you tell them how to do this? Or you don't have to have everybody on your vision board. <laughs> and I started to think, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You see, we've been looking for a building for like two years now. Some place that's bigger than the little tiny room here. And I was talking to my husband. I said, what do you see when you think about the building we're looking for? Because we've looked at everything. Most of it's really sorry. <laughs> really sorry and very expensive. Lauren, what, what do you... I started talking to him. I said, you know what I see? I see something industrial. I don't see a conventional church. And I thought, yeah. And he's like, you know, that's kind of what I see too. I said, then why are we looking at all this traditional stuff? <laughs> What is the desire? What is the vision God's given to you? You see, we weren't listening to the vision. We're looking at everything, looking for something that will work. <laughs> Why not see what we're supposed to search for first? Because what we see is what we'll walk into. Isn't that a much better idea? One of the things that this lady was talking about is that uh, she's, she has lots of testimonies. You see, once you see something, even if you just journal it every day, morning and night, the same vision. This is my vision, morning and night. And you see it either in writing or on a board. You see it every morning, every night. The chances of you walking into it go up almost 50% immediately. That's how powerful it is for us to see. You see, it's God taking us into it. It's not us making something happen. It's us seeing what he has for us and us going, yes, I want this. Jesus Christ died and purchased our salvation. And in that salvation is healing, provision, wholeness, protection. It's all there, but we don't really see it. What if we put it where we can see it? So that it affects our heart on purpose. So that we actually start walking into what God has for us. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. You know what that word will means? Desire. For it is God who works in us the desire. And to do his good pleasure. You know what that means? Desire. He says, I put my desires in you so that you will fulfill my desires for you. That's the point. And he says, that desire that I put in you, it's my good pleasure. My good pleasure. We have a good, good father. <laughs> we have a good, good father. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. This good works, this isn't like helping little old ladies across the street. <laughs> if anything, that's good. We walk into the good works. You know what? He's prepared them for us to walk into. They're not for him. They're for us. What is the good work that, that he knows will satisfy our desire? What is the calling? What is the ministry? What is the, the help? What is in your heart to do? What is the desire? God says, I put that desire in you to push you, to push you into my good pleasure, <laughs> to push you into what's going to make you happy and fulfilled. The desire itself is from him. Second Peter 1.3 says, According to his divine power, hath given unto us all things, all 
seen that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. It is through knowledge. And knowledge is something you understand. It's something you see. The more we see the truth of what Jesus did on the cross, in the death, burial, and resurrection, the more we see that truth, the more it changes us. God is good. What really this comes down to is the power of agreement. When I get the eyes of my heart and the eyes of my flesh to see the same thing, it becomes the power of agreement. God starts to order those steps. The vision I had 30 years ago to go to Bible college, I didn't put it on a vision board. But I never forgot it either. How much of our desires and dreams are sitting on the cutting room floor? Because we took those pictures and we said, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be cool if God did this? And then we let it fall to the ground. We cut them off. Because we thought, that's too big and that's too hard and that could never happen to me. God wants us to pick up the pictures that have fallen on the floor and put them back in the movie screen. Put them back on our reel so it can become the R-E-A-L. How much are we wishing for instead of believing God for? You see, that's what happens when you don't take those desires seriously. They're wishes. I wish I had a condo. I wish I had new kidneys. I wish I had. I wish I had. But they don't go anywhere, and they don't do anything, and they don't produce anything. Those wishes, those desires, the word desire includes the word wish. As long as it's from God, that's really the only thing you have to be concerned. Is this a God thing? Or is it a selfish thing? One of the uh, pastors at Colorado Springs tells a story about a young man who needed a new vehicle. He had a wife and two small children. He got a vision of what he wanted. I want a cherry red Corvette. So he went up to the prayer minister, and he says, I want agreement for a vehicle. And this was his pastor. And he says, yes, absolutely, I'll agree with you about this. He goes, I, I want a cherry red Corvette. And he said, absolutely not. What are you going to do, tape those children to the rough? What's the matter with you? <laughs> Can we get selfish about some things? Yeah. Okay. Does he need a, a cherry red Corvette today? No. Does that mean he can never have one? No. It doesn't mean that at all. Because God places desires in our heart. It may not be for now. It might be for later. But as long as you know you're not just walking in the flesh. <laughs> now, Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You understand what he said? He, he's not talking just about words. He's talking about stuff. Because the word good treasure is deposit. He says stuff comes out of your heart. In fact, everything comes out of your heart. Matthew fifteen eighteen says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. Uh, 19 says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, yeah. murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. He says, Whatever is in your heart is what you will live out. See, he's not talking just about words here. He's about stuff showing up in your life because it's in your heart. That's why it's important to, to make sure our heart is clear and believing the right things. 
about ourselves, and about the Lord. Now, all of what I've talked about presumes two things, that you, that you already knew two things. God is good. Okay? Because if you put everything on your board, but you think God is stingy and withholding things, you're going to get what you believe more than what you see. So I am presuming that you know God is good, and he wants what's best for you, and he has a good plan for you. For I know the plans I have for you, they are to do good and not evil, to give you a future and hope. I'm assuming you all believe God is good. (laughs) So this will work for you because you already believe God is good. But there's another thing. You gotta believe you're good. See, that gets a little sticky, doesn't it? <laughs> it matters how you see yourself, too. In First uh, Samuel, there's a story. Yeah, I'm just gonna give you a little snippet of it. It begins in uh, 15, 13. Samuel came to Saul and said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? You see, King Saul was God's choice when the people of Israel said, you want a king? And he said, no, me. I will be your king. There's, really, there's nothing better than, than God is your king. <laughs> and uh, they said, no, we want what everybody else has. We want a God we can see with our eyes. We want a, a king we can see. And he said, okay, fine. So he gave him a king that they could see. <laughs> and he told this king to do something. He was supposed to fulfill a prophecy the Lord had made years before about the Amalekites. He said that with the fullness of time that God would destroy them. They had attacked Israel. And he said there will be a punishment for them later on. So God told Saul, this is what I want you to do. Go into the land of the Amalekites and destroy everything. Women, women, children. They're all devoted to destruction. They will be a thorn in your side. This has to be done. This is their reward for what, how they treated Israel. So he did. He went and he destroyed everything except, except the good sheep and the good oxen and the king. Now he didn't do what God told him to do. It matters. <laughs> you see, because he is fulfilling the word of the Lord, and now he's just made God a liar. He doesn't even see it. And so Samuel shows up and says, why do I hear the bleeding of sheep if you did what God told you to do? And he says, the people, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. You see, I can be disobedient if I'm going to bless God, right? (laughs) That works out for you really good, doesn't it? No. (laughs) No, it doesn't. And Samuel says, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said, speak. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people 
it's the people <laughs> who took the spoil, <laughs> the best things devoted to destruction. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to obey than to sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. All of this happened because of that one little sentence. He said, you are small in your own eyes. And he said, but God made you a king. We have been made kings and priests of our God. But do we think we are small? Do we think we don't have value? You see, this was a huge honor. He stood in the place of God before the people. He was God's representative of himself as a king. This was a great and huge honor. He should have been humbled. But because he didn't believe he was honored, because he didn't think he was big, because he didn't think he was important, he decided to make himself important in the eyes of people instead of knowing he was already important in the eyes of his God. When we don't believe we're important to our Father, when we don't believe we are the righteousness of God in Christ, we will think ourselves small. And we will not fulfill the plans and the desires and the destinies that our Father has planned for us. It is imperative that you know you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That you are the beloved of the Father. That you are the object of God's affection. And nothing by any means can separate you. That kind of righteousness enables us to receive all that our Father has bought and paid for by the death of his son. Your faith will be indomitable when you know that you are the righteousness, that nothing can come between you and your father. Nothing can change how much you are loved and how much he wants you to walk in everything he has planned for you. What are your dreams and your desires? What are your wishes? What pictures are sitting on the cutting room floor? God says, pick up your pieces. Put them back on the reel and start showing them in the mind of your heart and your physical eyes. Let your physical eyes see what God desires. Let your eyes agree with your heart that what my Father has promised is true and true. Amen? Amen. My challenge is for you to make a vision book. You have to see it every morning, and you have to see it every night. And if you've got promises attached to that vision, smack those babies out there. Keep those words in front of your eyeballs, because they are alive. They will cause life to show up in our life. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is true. Your word is alive. Your word has the power to change every situation. Your word can cure anything that's broken. Your word has the ability to bring the very life of God into my life and show off the goodness of my Father. Father God, I ask that you would encourage those here this morning and those who are listening to put their dreams where they can see them, to put their desires where they can see them, and know that they are not just in the future, but they are a reality right now. Those kidneys are real, and they are the answer, and they're real, 
and they're real right now. They're not just invisible. They're real in the kingdom. There's nothing more real than the kingdom. Those legs are real. They're real right now. And I declare that we are going to walk in the reality of what is real in the kingdom. We are going to walk in the prosperity. We are going to live out your life. We are going to lay hands on the sick and see them all recover. We are going to see miracle upon miracle. We are going to see the one signs and wonders that you said we would see and even do ourselves. Help us to put those dreams and desires where we can see them and agree with them and agree with you. Father, help us to take hold of all the good plans that you have planned for us and help us to walk into them. In Jesus' name, amen.